Welcome to Dynasty Sports Empire, the podcast, a part of the DynastySportsEmpire.com podcast network. Dare I say the flagship podcast of the Dynasty Sports Empire podcast network. We bring you the latest in sports and fantasy sports with, shall we say, a lighter approach to what most people consider a very serious undertaking. Um, it's been a couple of weeks off. Tim and I are on vacation. Tim is still on vacation. I'm doing a quick solo pod just to get everybody up to speed on what's going on, what's about to happen. So, um, you know, don't mind me if it's just me talking for quite a bit here. Um, on the show today, we have an NBA Finals update. NBA Finals is not over, it's still going. Uh, all about fixing the MLB draft, uh, Euro 2020 uh, recap. The Olympics starts on this week. And I talked to one of the official brothers of the podcast, Zach Roman, my brother about F1 racing, the Los Angeles Rams, and being a parent and a sports fan. As always, you can email us at dsethepodcast at gmail.com, at dsepodcast on Twitter, dsethepodcast on Instagram. As always, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts to help other people find us. Um, and that'll help us out quite a bit. Um, as always, I'm your host, Jeff Roman. Tim is not beside me tonight, but I wanted to get a pod out there. So um, I'm going to go on a few topics here real quick and then I'll throw it over to the interview with Zach. So, um, let's go ahead and get to the topics. All right. So the NBA finals are still going on. Somehow they're finding a way to put two days between each game. So, um, we are on to game six tonight. It's actually going on right now. Uh, the games start extremely late. Um, they, decide that for some reason um, the game should start at nine o'clock Eastern. Um, so they don't get over until after 1130 Eastern. I don't understand these late start times. And maybe this is an old man, get off my lawn uh, rant. But first of all, it's nine o'clock, right? The game doesn't end until close to midnight. I don't understand who are the people who are staying up to watch this. The most important part of the game is not the beginning. It is the end. So the end should be at a good time for people to watch it. Um, 11.45 is not necessarily a good time for people to watch it. But there must be some data that shows them that um, that gives them the numbers that they want to, to do the commercials and get the most out of it. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Um, either way, the best window for sports is between 8 o'clock and 10.30. All sports should be between 8 o'clock and 10.30. So that's what I think. Anyway, back to the NBA Finals. So game six is tonight. Uh, the Bucks are trying to close out the series up 3-2. They started off the series um, down down two games. They've won three in a row, which is a, a really um, big lift because I think a lot of people thought the series was basically over at uh, uh, down 0-2. But they took two games at home and then took uh, a game five in Phoenix. Um, these have been really fun games. Obviously, these are two teams and two fan bases who are, are desperate for a championship. We're not talking about LA or Golden State or Miami or Boston or San Antonio, right? These are teams that um, and cities that are not super familiar with winning championships, especially in basketball, right? So um, I, I think it's great to see for the NBA. I know a lot of people think about the NBA as star-driven, um, coast-driven, right? Um, but there are stars in this game. There's Chris Paul, there's Devin Booker, there's Giannis. Um, there's even Chris Middleton, right. And drew holiday, um, different levels of stars, right. But still stars nonetheless. And I think it's great to see, 
um, both of these teams having competitive games. Um, Phoenix kind of let them a little, let Milwaukee off the hook a little bit in game four, game five, both close games that they probably thought that they should have won. Um, but Milwaukee won them. They can close it out tonight. Personally, I'm rooting for a game seven. I love to see game sevens. So um, I hope to see a game seven later this week with two off days. It's Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. That must make the four, seventh game on Friday or something like that. Um, so either way, we'll wrap it up next week. So um, the other other big big things about the NBA um, is that their compressed schedule has left us with very little time um, between the end of the season and the NBA draft and, and, and then NBA's kind of what I call silly season, which uh, is their trade and free agency season, which starts um, the second week of August. So there, there's usually a star player who is, is rumbling around, right, to uh, see who's become available, right? And this year, this year's James Harden, um, the previous year's uh, Kawhi Leonard, all right, is um, Damian Lillard of the Portland Trailblazers. So he is said to be unhappy with his situation. I think that's become pretty clear with doing a couple of interviews and quote unquote people close to Lillard say he's going to request a trade, la la la. Um, so he's said to have Golden State, Miami, New York Knicks, and my Philadelphia 76ers in his wish list. Um, so uh, obviously I love the draft and I love all drafts. Um, but the NBA's free agency silly season is unrivaled for rumors and, and hearsay and, um, you know, so-and-so's talking to so-and-so and concocting a trade for zones. Like it's just unrivaled. They have a, uh, a, a crazy, like compact week or so probably at this point where everything will get done between the draft and free agency starting. Um, and they have some sort of tampering period where everybody flies around. And um, a few years ago, some player barred the door. So they would keep a player, <laughs> a player um, in the house so that they could sign him to a deal. So make sure to push your, uh, put your alerts on for Adrian Morjanowski from ESPN. So you can have your news as soon as possible, because that is the most important thing that you have the news first and you're first to tweet about it on Twitter. So um I'll talk about the NBA draft next weekend as well, or our next pod, excuse me, as well, because that is um, next Thursday. Um, uh, obviously, uh, I'm a big fan of drafts, and there's uh, a couple of interesting players here um, in this draft. Not a top-end player like Zion or, or LeBron um, at the top, but there's five probably very interesting players, at least, uh, at the top of this one. So we'll talk about that. Um, from that perspective next week. Um, so speaking of drafts, MLB just had their draft. Um, it is something that they desperately want to make into a capital E event like the NFL or NBA draft, right? They have a couple of things working against them. First, both the NBA and the NFL benefit greatly from highly publicized, uh, free to them, uh, college leagues that are on TV and, and fans can get to know and f- watch film if they want about players that are um, good fits for their team and, and root for certain players to go certain places and have opinions about who should go where and get as- excited about a player joining their team, right? So uh, that's that's the number one thing that uh, MLB has going against them. The number two thing is that these other leagues, players for the most part, uh, go right into the the majors, so to speak, right? Uh, the player that you draft in the NFL is going to help your team next year, right? Try to win a Super Bowl. Um, so 
that is, is something that um, MLB just doesn't have. These guys go into the minors and they're just, you know, basically wait for three years and then check on them again. <laughs> it's kind of like a toaster strudel, right? Put it in the toaster and then three years, pick it out. Um, you have quite a burned toaster strudel, but, um, you know, uh, to torture the metaphor f- even further, um, you know, it's just one of those things that, that they have working against them. So um, there are a few things, however, that that are a little bit frustrating about the MLB draft that I think that they can make better to make it more entertaining for fans and and just make it a, a better draft for the league, right? So the first thing is, is structured slot values for each pick, which means your first, your, your contract is 10 million, right? NBA has this, NFL has this, right? The way the MLB does it is through suggested slot values for all of your picks. You have kind of a pool of money to spend on all of your picks, but you're not required to spend that money. You don't have to, right? So the Pittsburgh Pirates um, picked uh, a catcher uh, first overall. So he signed for uh, $2 million less than the suggested value uh, of that. So they are saving money somehow uh, through the draft, right? So what the draft should do, um, and that player is Henry Davis from Louisville. Um, he signed for $6.5 million when the pick value is $8.42 million, almost $2 million less than, than, than what it's for. The draft, what it should do is get the best players to the worst teams and help them build up. But if you allow teams like Pittsburgh to spend less they are going to spend less, right? So um, make Pittsburgh spend all of the money and then maybe the uh, number one player will be the best player. So, you know, look at Toronto and they have every player's son, right? Fernando Tatis Jr. is on San Diego, right? Vlad Guerrero Jr. Um, there's Dante Bichette's son um, on Toronto as well. And um, Jack Leiter from Vanderbilt, the number one pitcher from the one of the best teams in college baseball is there and is the son of a great player. You don't take him, and you take somebody else. So uh, to me, I don't understand that you take the best player that's available. Um, and if MLB forced them to pay the players um, that amount that they were picked at, they would have the best player picked by the worst teams and they would help those small payroll teams have good players, right? Uh, is Henry Davis going to be better than Jack Leiter? I don't know, but does Jack Leiter going to be uh, look like a better player right now? Absolutely. So that that's a big problem they have going for them. If they fix that, that'll fix a lot of their problems with that and fix a lot of the problems overall about competitive balance, about teams wanting to win. Right. So um, other than that, right, there is a, a, another problem with the draft is that, and players can go into the draft and if they don't get the money they want, they can, they're out, right? They can go to college. They can go to college for another year, right? They can get back in the draft in two years and one year, right? So make the players be in or out, right? In or out. You're in or out of the draft, right? If you're in the draft and you get picked, you sign, you sign for this amount and there you go, right? This, this kind of signing process makes the real draft, not the draft. It makes the real draft, the signing. So Don't make the real draft the signing. Make the real draft the draft. It'll have more weight and and then it'll be more important to fans and more important to uh, players. So um, there, I fixed the MLB draft. Well, at least I made it better. So we'll, we'll see about that from MLB. 
Um, so on to Euro 2020, which happened in 2021. So um, that was one uh, a week or so ago um, on penalty kicks by Italy. Uh, they Italy beat Spain in the semis on penalties as well. So a lot has been made of uh, finishing these major championships or any championship really with what essentially comes down to a free throw shooting contest or a field goal kicking contest, right? Some sort of little piece of play that's not like the rest of the game. So, um, you know, I was thinking about this a bit and, you know, is, is PKs the best way, penalty kicks, is that the best way to end um, a soccer game, right? A tournament, right? Um, so, and it came to me, right? Um, Winston Churchill, you didn't see me go in there, did you? He famously said, indeed, it, is, it has been said that democracy is the worst form of government, except for all those other forms, right? So it, just like that, penalty kicks are the worst way to end a game, except for all those other ways, right? You can't have uh, you know, players running for, for 300 minutes, right? Like you do extra, extra innings in baseball, or um, you know, if, there's, if there's no tie, to be had um there's got to be eventually a way to solve it that is final and the pks are extremely final right you can't match the drama and the instant success and failures and someone has made the scapegoat instantly right uh, or in the case of england there's three in a row someone's who did not convert their penalties um england was on the verge of winning their first major championship and they were at home right at wembley stadium um for the country in like 20 plus years uh so that was a um a big moment with uh, several players becoming scapegoats there. So um, penalty kicks, not the best, but you know what, until you come up with something better, that's what we got. So, um, and it's too bad. Obviously Tim is not here to hear me drop this huge history nugget. Um, I'm sure he would have schooled me on how I was wrong about uh, that quote, but I found it on the internet. It's gotta be right. So um, maybe he's not here. So I just have to pick up the slack on the history uh, portion. So, um, lastly, we've got the Olympics action starting this week. Um, uh, I was speaking with our guest Zach off the pod and he said there are new events this year, like speed climbing, um, which sounds intense. Um, I would love to see that, um, on TV. So get that televised NBC and let's take a look at the speed climbing or the bouldering. Um, but the big news, um, and, and, you know, every once in a while there is this kind of news event that just is is the, um, you know, in, in, uh, they famously said about Helen in, see, I, you didn't think I was going to go there either. They famously said this about <laughs> Helen in, um, the Olympiad about, uh, Troy is that she is the face that launched a thousand ships, right? Um, every once in a while, a new story comes along. That is the new story that launches a thousand hot takes. And this was the one, um, that, that happened and this dropped while we were on vacation is that, um, USA sprinter Sharkari Richardson was suspended for a positive marijuana test after winning the, um, 100 meters, um, at the USA trials. So she was one of the gold medal favorites, or at least a, uh, challenger for the gold medal. Um, I know the Jamaican sprinters are also very good. So, uh, you know, there's no counting them out, um, over a hundred meters, but I don't have a huge hot take on this myself. Um, 
I kind of think about it like the rules are the rules, right? This one is probably a dumb rule. Uh, I mean, no one thinks that marijuana is a performance enhancing drug for running fast. Um, but everyone else on the team has to abide by it. Um, she did not. It was the worst possible time. I, I know that she feels terribly about it and remorseful. Um, but, you know, obviously she had some situations going on, but she, the rule was broken. She broke the rule. Uh, and the suspension was laid down and she's going to miss the Olympics. So that's unfortunate. Um, I don't know. Maybe that's a medium. Maybe it's a tepid take for you there. Um, but it, it is what it is. So um, with her out, um, looking at the um, 100 women's, um, Shelly Ann Frazier from Jamaica is the favorite at plus 100. Her country mate, Elaine Thompson-Hara, is... Um, is at plus 145 in second there. So um, Frazier Price is at plus 100. Uh, Elaine thompson Harris is at plus 145 to win that race. Um, and now, uh, without any further ado, enough of me ranting. Um, and we'll go ahead and um, bring in Zach for the interview. And now we welcome our guest today, one of the official brothers of the podcast, Zach Roman. Welcome to the podcast, Zach. Thank you, brother. Good to be here. Long time listener, first time podcaster. All right. Um, so I brought you on for a couple of reasons. Um, one reason is we were uh, recently on vacation and we were talking about how you got into F1 racing uh, as a sport to watch. I, you know, not a sport that we talk about a lot. You know, obviously it's a little bit bigger over in Europe. I just wanted to. So how did you get into F1 and and you know, tell me a little bit about it. Yeah. So, I mean, for many American F1 fans, I feel like my origin story is around the Netflix show Drive to Survive. Um, the pandemic, you know, caused a lot of us to look for new shows. And I've always been obsessed with the kind of shows like Hard Knocks and those kind of shows that get behind the scenes of a team, a league or whatever. And Formula One Drive to Survive on Netflix, highly recommend it. Got behind the, the you know, the glitz and the glamour of the show and really got into the drama and kind of showed you what Formula One is about. And it got me hooked. And I was watching, you know, waking up early to watch races, watch qualifying, everything. I just got really into it. Because uh, F1 was earlier back than other sports during the pandemic. Is that right? Yeah, it was like the first thing back before even basketball did the bubble or baseball was even starting. They were having races um, obviously like their schedule shifted and everything had to be changed for the pandemic, but yeah, it was like the first thing back and you needed it. You needed something, you needed some sport, some, you know, rooting interest, something to watch. Sure. So, so explain it to me like I'm five. Uh, obviously what I know about F1 racing is they race the cars with the big wheels and they're low down, um, and their little helmets <laughs> stick out. So uh, that seems like the Indy 500 type cars. So how is it different from that or the same, I guess? Uh, I think it's generally the same. The car, they're open wheeled cars. Um, the regulations are obviously different. And I think the kinds of tracks they go on are different. If I, you know, I'm not the expert because I'm one year into my fandom. So I'm very, I'm scratching the surface here. Indy 500 is like just a round, a round track. Whereas Formula One, they have curves and they do a lot of different um, stuff like that, as opposed to Indy 500 or like Indy racing, I should say. So, so they race kind of in, in, and swerve around a bit, you know, it's more like a road type course. Is that right? 
Yeah, exactly. Some of them are actually on roads in cities like Monaco Grand Prix in Monaco is actually on the roads that cars drive on, whereas other Grand Prix are on special tracks. Like they just raced this past weekend in Silverstone, which is like the home of racing. And that's a special track um, built for racing as opposed to driving on the city streets. Got it. So swerving is is a technical term in the F1. That's, that's what I use there. <laughs> I'm sure, you know, we can make up whatever we want here. Yeah, that's right. So um, speaking of swerving, one of the one of the headlines here around um, F1 that I saw recently, uh, I'll, I'll kick it to you for your analysis. So um, Lewis Hamilton, one of the stars of F1, um, got into a, a kerfluffle a little bit with uh, another driver named Verstappen. Um, what what happened here? Walk me through this this kind of controversy that happened over the weekend. Yeah. Okay. So uh, Lewis Hamilton, a seven or eight time world champion, and Max Verstappen, who is leading the current drivers' championship, um, got into a racing incident, as they like to call it, where in the first lap, coming around a corner, they collided, and Max Verstappen went off the track into the wall. And I think I've seen reports that he hit the wall at 51 G's, um, which is just an insane amount. And he was obviously out of the race. Uh, The race had to stop. Uh, Hamilton had taken damage and he was able to repair his car in the pits when the race was stopped after that incident and be able to continue the race. The uh, overlords of Formula One decided that to issue him a 10 second penalty for this incident, presumably assigning blame to Lewis Hamilton for what happened. Um, Even with that 10 second penalty, Lewis Hamilton was able to win the Grand Prix and take home 25 points to bring him much closer to Max Verstappen, who obviously got zero points in the race because he was knocked out in the first lap. So how do they like, how do they establish that it, it was his fault? Like, was there something that he should have done instead? Like, did he need to give him some room or like, what's, how do they understand? Let me understand how it's okay. a, a yeah. fault there. Yeah. This is the part where uh, I do not know enough information, but there is a set of regulations which defines um, when two cars are going t- taking a corner, which one's ahead, which one's behind, where their wheels are, and how much room you need to give each other. And based on those regulations, they assign blame to Lewis Hamilton. Now, I've seen things that people are prognosticating that maybe if Hamilton was the one into the wall and out of the race for stopping might have gotten a penalty um, because of the incident, but he got Scott out scot free because he was knocked out. Okay. So, so kind of like, you know, in the olden days of hockey, like if you, if you make the other player bleed, you get a four minute penalty instead of a, a two minute penalty. Right. Yeah. Or, yes. Something like that, I think. And the, the funny thing is that we have um, access to a lot of the radio communication that happens during the race and so what you can what you have heard is that um the team principals are like the basically general managers of mercedes where lewis hamilton drives communicating with like the uh, officials the formula one officials at the race to be like hey i sent you an email can you look at it about the incident trying to in real time defend themselves to maybe avoid a penalty so he sent an email while he was driving the car no, no. The team principal sent an email to the Formula One uh, officials. Ah, that, okay. Yeah, yeah. So you Got get it. this amazing, which adds to the dramas. You get this amazing uh, kind of back and forth. It's like at, in the NFL after games, you can hear the play calls or like coaches talking to each other on the radio. You can get that 
almost in real time and immediately after the race for Formula One. So it kind of adds to the drama and adds to like the strategery, if you will. Sure. And it's cool, cool to kind of see that, uh, you know, that communication that's going on um, in, in real time. So um, I was going to ask another question about this, but I def, oh, he was assessed a 10 second penalty, which he won anyway. So a 10 second penalty, I guess, is not a big penalty. It's kind of a, a small penalty. Slap on I the think wrist it's kind the, of thing. It's the second biggest penalty you can wow. get, but Hamilton and Mercedes are so good that they were still able to win. Okay. So, they have been so dominant that a 10 second penalty didn't hurt them overall in the race. So you, um, you talk a bit about the, the car makers, what, how are there other players that drive Mercedes or is it just one player that is a Mercedes? So there's two drivers per, um, constructor, which is the name of the, like the team per team, there's two drivers. So, um, in Formula One, your direct kind of um, competition is your teammate because they're driving the same car as you and the car can lend a huge advantage in the race. So like some, I've seen something that's like a third of it's the driver, a third of it's the car, a third of it's like the tire. You know, there's like, it's not all the driver skill and it's not all the car. Well, it's a, like you need a really good car in order to compete. Like you can't have, you can have the best driver in the car and you will lose the race. So is, is anybody out there representing like Yugo or uh, Saturn? Are there are Saturns out there? <laughs> no, there, there are no Saturns out there. The top teams right now are Mercedes and Red Bull. Um, and after them, it's McLaren, Ferrari, AlphaTauri. Um, I'm forgetting some, and some people are probably gonna be offended if anyone's a Formula One fan that listens to this podcast. So, but Red Bull's not a car maker. They are a team. What kind of car do they drive? Do they, because it's not all about, right, the Right, the so car. currently they, they use Honda engines. Um, Honda is their engine maker, but I believe their contract expires after this year, so they're going to build out their own cars. This okay. is, they're, they're spending an insane amount of money in order to, um, build these things. And so then they're going to start basically building their own engines, I think after this year. Okay. So, okay. I got you. So Red Bull, Red Bull builds the car. Um, it's, it's not necessarily a car maker that is the, uh, the car maker. Right. <laughs> correct. Correct. Okay. <laughs> okay. I'm glad you were following my, my train of thought through there. So, um, I guess, Last last question on F one, and we can we can go to more uh, American uh, sports here. Is do you have a favorite driver? Like, do you have a team? I guess that you root for um, yeah, based on yeah. your watching of Drive to Survive. Yeah. So my uh, favorite driver is Daniel Ricciardo, and because of that, I like the McLaren racing team. Um, and then the way that Formula One works is like they don't really have a chance to win the constructors like the constructor championship. So I'm rooting for red bull against mercedes mercedes in my mind is the you know um the dark side you know the dark yankees, the, the yankees. The yankees. Yeah, exactly okay. so you want you want some new blood in there and so i'm uh rooting for red bull to win the constructors championship but my favorite driver is daniel ricardo and i like the mclaren uh, f1 team okay so is verstappen on the red bull team then 
Yes. Since he was, yeah. Okay. Yeah. There we go. Yes. All right. So that 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 gets you up to date on F one. Thank you, Zach, for that um, that uh, primer. Um, it, it's it seems like a quite interesting uh, sport. I quite I like it. Um, I like the racing with the swerves more than I like the racing yeah. with the uh, going around in a circle uh, two hundred times. Uh, so that definitely adds a little bit more excitement to it. And if anyone um, it, has any comments about what I said, uh, leave a five-star review for DSE, the podcast, and I'll make sure to read it. There you go. We'll read it on air. We'll, we'll get it directly to Zach. So just, yeah, leave it a five-star review. We'll definitely make sure to get it directly to Zach. Thank you for plugging that for me. All right. Um, speaking of plugging, we are now going to plug your favorite team and my former favorite team, uh, the Los Angeles Rams. So, I wanted to talk about them a little bit because obviously um, there's a bit of news about them recently that I don't know if it bubbled up outside of the St. Louis area news media. Um, but as we all expected, um, the the Rams moved from St. Louis uh, under kind of a, uh, a haze of uh, discontentment. Um, pretending that they knew uh, that they tried to go through all of the league mandated processes around relocation when everybody could see that they didn't. Um, And St. Louis ended up suing uh, the Rams because they broke all sorts of um, deals that they um, were supposed to go through as part of the relocation agreement um, with the NFL. So uh, it came out recently this week that uh, you know what? The Rams actually didn't do what they said that they were going to do. They had a land deal in Los Angeles all along. They were pretending to follow the rules and um, exactly what everyone saw happening was exactly what was happening. So it was there in emails and all of the, I'm quite happy that all of the leadership of the Rams looks ridiculous for the silly things that they put in email um, and get pulled up in discovery for litigation. I won't ask you any comment on that other than I know that you are a fan of the team and not a fan of the ownership, which is a perfectly reasonable stance. And I think a stance of 95% of all sports fans. Yeah. Like who cares about the owners? You know, like they're not the people you're rooting for. So to find so out that uh, Stan Kroenke is a, uh, not the greatest human, not a surprise. Right. But I will say this for ownership is that um, I believe it is um, one of the, uh, his name's Danny. He's an uh, NBA podcaster. He says that ownership is the greatest, good ownership is the greatest competitive advantage in sports. So as long as you have an owner who is willing to spend to create an on the field team that is good, then you care in that way, you care what your owner is, right? So um, Stan Kroenke is now in Los Angeles. So he cares about putting a good team on the field. So all of a sudden he's a good owner, right? When he was, he was not basically cutting corners and and doing the uh, major league uh, playbook, creating a terrible team so that he could get them out of town. um, He's a bad owner, right? So as long as in the, in the context of them spending money to create a good team, that's where who the owner is, uh, or in what context the owner is, uh, really matters. So yeah, it really um, they really just need to show up with a checkbook, willing to spend and get out of the way with anything that comes to 
decisions based on the sport. Like they should well, not be yeah. making the decisions. They just need to be willing to spend the money. Yeah. And I think, I think sometimes that, that gets in the way, like you see with Daniel Snyder or, the uh, Vec in uh, on Sacramento Kings, right. Um, when you're involved in the player acquisition process as an owner, it can cause um, problems and, and make your team actively worse, even though you are trying to make them better. Um, it, it definitely can make your team actively worse. So, um, you want an owner that's good, but not not too involved, right? Um, involved, but not too involved. Um, so about those Rams. So let, let's talk about that process a little bit. Um, because when the Rams moved from St. Louis to Los Angeles, you uh, endeavored on a um, adventure, I'll say, to find yourself a, a team, a new team to root for. Right. So walk me through what, what happened there and, and what, yeah, yeah, what you ended sure. up with. Well, uh, I think everyone knows what I ended up with. Um, <laughs> okay. Okay. We, we jumped but, to the end first, but start, start back in the beginning. When, when the Rams left St. Louis, I decided as a uh, St. Louis bred boy that I needed to re-examine my fandom um, to maybe find a team that fit more with my uh, sensibilities, um, the players I like, maybe the colors, and not just a team that I grew up, you know, a couple of miles away from. So I put together a spreadsheet. I, on the suggestion of a friend, I sent a physical letter to every NFL team, asked them why I should be a fan of them. Uh, about half responded with some sort of swag. Uh, a few just sent me schedules of the previous season which are completely <laughs> useless uh, so I, so it's definitely just some intern throwing something in a bag or an envelope and just sending it back off thinking i was 12 years old when in fact i was 25 at the time 26 <laughs> like a fully grown man um and in the end like after all this it like i had cultivated an online fault like not following but an, i followed people online that like the Rams that were from all different kinds of places and not just St. Louis. So that as well as just like growing up, loving the team and being so invested when they were so bad for so long, it just felt hard to just jump to a new team. And I felt some sort of like, also like I no longer lived in St. Louis. I had left St. Louis. So I didn't feel like I had the same kind of, um, slight to me personally that a lot of St. Louisans had at the way the Rams treated the city uh, and the fans in general, basically calling them, calling the city not able to support a team. Like I didn't feel that personally because I wasn't, I didn't go back to St. Louis after college. Um, So it's an interesting thing, fandom in general, like, you know, what makes you pick a team? What makes you stay with that team? Like, you know, I, I hear a lot of people nowadays, old men complaining, yelling at clouds that kids don't, they follow individual players now as opposed to being a fan of a team. So what is, well, you know, what is fandom in this, you know, new world? Like, is it worthwhile to stay with the Rams? Like if the Rams start being sh- terrible again, is it worthwhile to stay a fan of them or they just give me stress? And, and, and that's, this, that, that's where I ended up. And is that I, I found them to be making me generally unhappy to, to watch them. Um, so, you know, 
it kind of gave me a convenient jumping off point to be like, you know what? Like I, I it might be uh, enjoyable to be agnostic about a, a team and whether a, a specific team wins or loses on uh, Sunday doesn't kind of change my mood for the whole week. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's something as I've aged, I've definitely um, started coming around on that idea of being where like, I would be so upset after wins and losses of various sports teams, you know, like one time the Cardinals blew a playoff game in the ninth inning from like Jason Eusringhausen or something, you know, like one of these classic closers of the Cardinals that blows a game. And I had a ketchup packet in my hand and I just threw it against the ground and it exploded. We were finding ketchup all over the apartment for weeks, <laughs> months. <laughs> like that's not healthy. Like, <laughs> This kind of behavior, this this these feelings that rooting for a team bring out are not healthy. It's not good for you. Yeah, I I definitely uh, broke uh, the recliner that I was sitting in. I just did a kung fu chop and it smashed the leg thing uh, in half. I had to uh, find an, an upholsterer to uh, to fix it for me, and they had to come pick it up. But it was a it was a little bit later that I got it fixed, but um, that was uh, you know when I was kind of like ah what am I you know what am I even doing um, you know and I and I think that that kind of goes into for me you know the Rams moved um, when my son was like you know just a couple of years old and you know I was kind of thinking about you know in general what what kind of you know aura, uh, so to speak, I wanted to present kind of as a, uh, as a fan. And I think, you know, getting too into specific events that don't necessarily, you know, have a bearing on what happens, right. If this, you know, obviously I root very heavily for the Sixers and I haven't learned my own lesson and got way too into the Sixers and trying to take a step back from that. Right. Um, and, whether they win or lose, right? They lost. That was devastating. But I don't know. Everything's pretty much the same for me as it was three weeks ago when they were still playing. Um, so, you know, I don't know if that's getting older or, or you know, or or being a parent or, or you know, for you, what kind of like, you know, obviously your your child is, is quite young, obviously not picking up on your, your sports fandom yet, but what kind of aura or, you know, situation are you trying to pass on? Yeah. You know, I want to bring my child into sports and, you know, show them what I like and let them kind of choose for themselves. And I don't want to show them this kind of angry person that I become in losses or frustrating moments. Um, it's kind of a side of you that you, you don't want to expose to them as children because you don't want to teach them that that's okay those kind of emotions are not, you know, what you want to see in your child. Um, and it's, it's interesting, you know, we grow up, grew up together and our parents weren't necessarily sports fans. Um, so it's interesting that, you know, we grew up with this such a passion for a sport when we didn't see it in our father or mother shouts to them, by the way. Um, so it's like, I think in most ways, then I've gotten my fandom from you as my older brother than from dad. 
So, so you're saying it's my fault. Is that what you're saying? A hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think, you know, I, I don't, I can't say that I've got it from anywhere and I don't, I don't, you know, know that it, even if that's necessary. And I, and I've kind of seen that a little bit in my son where he's, he's feeling the pressure and rooting for one, you know, even if we're watching the euros and he's saying, I want Italy to win and he's feeling things very deeply, you know, I could see myself in that and kind of trying to deter that kind of thinking. Whereas, you know, we want, and we talk about this a lot on the podcast, which is like, we want sports to be fun, right? Sports should be fun to watch, right? If sports are making us miserable, we're going to go do something else. Right. Um, and, and so that's kind of the, the way that I, I kind of try to think about it. Right. And try to, try to present that to, to my son, to my kids, to, to myself, right. Keep telling myself that. Right. Whereas, you know, uh, I, I, I can see how it's so easily, you can feel things so deeply and, and it's a regular season game, one of 82 for the Sixers and they blow a 15 point lead and you're like furious why isn't the offense doing anything and you're like you know what i, I don't need to watch this i'm gonna go watch uh, a show or do the dishes you know i yeah. think uh yeah. that perspective is is something that you know i'm not an expert at and I, it's something i've definitely recently gained and and i do think being a, a parent has helped with that because that's something that i want to present and say, Hey, you know what? It's, it's not that important. Like we're hoping this team wins and we're happy if they win, but if they lose, Oh, oh, well, we'll go have dinner and uh, get some ice cream or something, you know? Yeah. And that, and it's, it goes beyond fandom. It goes even to, you know, um, having them play sports as well. Like this, these kinds of ways of, you know, you do want to, you know, probably have them be a little competitive so that they, you know, want to be better at the sport possibly, but you don't want them to, you know, feel the losses so much that they, you know, are depressed and sad for hours, days after a loss that they, in a game they played, you know, you want to bring them up to, you know, enjoy the sport for the sport and not for necessarily the winning, you know, to play and enjoy that in itself. Right. And and I think a lot of people generally ridicule kids sports for, participation trophies and, and stuff like that. But I I don't think that's the right thing to focus on because the, the fun is playing the sport, right? You try to win. Great. If you don't win, it's okay. Like, I don't, I don't see why um, there's a problem with, with uh, giving out trophies to every kid who plays a sport for a year. Like everybody had a good time. Here's a little piece of metal that tells you that you, participated in this like i i don't see the big problem there and i think that's kind of you know what i'm trying to generate is like let's just have fun with this and learn and try to be good and if we're not good and we don't win then i don't know like let's let's do something else that's more fun or you know um or keep playing if we're having fun and losing you know like that that part of it i i want to try you know focus on not mattering as much um because that's a recipe for making, as you said, making yourself just completely miserable. And that's no fun for anyone. I know sports, you know, sports is more losing than winning, right? You're not going to win the championship every year um, unless you uh, wait till the last minute of the game 
and glom on to whoever is going to win, um, <laughs> which is a strategy. It could work for some people, um, but you know that it's going to end up with more uh, more heartbreak than uh, than celebration. You know. Yep. Yep. And uh, you know we have definitely experienced our share of losses in our uh, sporting career. Um, I don't think I ever had a winning record in playing soccer in high school ever. So. Yeah, one one year we won seven games. That was our best year. We had a great year that year. We were like seven and twenty. That was one of our best years. Um, so, you know, and I was the goalie, so I saw all those goals fly past. I remember, uh, you know, the when I was going to college, the the college soccer coach looked up my goals against average or something, and he was like, "Why is your goals against average look like your?" you're a hockey goalie <laughs> and I'm like, well, how, how many, how long do you have? Let me tell you a story about, uh, you know, neighborhoods and, uh, you know, socioeconomic, uh, you know, uh, different, uh, you know, flight from neighborhoods. And anyway, anyway, I'm not going to get into that. Um, so Zach, thank you for coming on the pod. Is there anything else you want to talk about before, uh, before I get you out of here? Nope. Thanks for having me. I don't want to overstay my welcome and I hope to be asked back to uh, pinch hit again sometime soon. Hey, you got it, buddy. All right, bro. All right. With that, um, thanks for spending time to do that interview, Zach. Um, got a little deep there at the end, um, but you know, it's never a good interview if, if you don't get a little deep and do talk about the meaning of sports fandom and how it relates to your entire life and the entire world. So um, with, with that, um, I, I'm going to talk about what I'm keeping my eye on this week and, and uh, what I'm looking forward to. So after this is, is over, I'm going to take a look at the NBA finals. I'm going to be rooting for a game seven. Um, and then I'm going to watch the game seven, if that so happens. And then I am going to be looking very much forward to the NBA draft. NBA trading season um, with hopefully Damian Lillard ending up in the Philadelphia 76ers uh, jersey at the end of, I don't know, uh, a month from now. Um, so, but again, like I talked about with Zach, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Well, we'll uh, I'll root for the Sixers no matter what and hope that they win. And if they don't win, oh, well, we'll go get some ice cream. So um, I am, let's see, let's see if I can do the outro. And Tim is going to um, um, be proud of me, right? I always just want to make Tim proud. Um, so I'm keeping my eye on the NBA Finals. And I've, and I've completely screwed it up. <laughs> Thank you for listening so far for me talking to myself in the basement. Um, all right. I'm keeping my eyes glued to the NBA Finals. And I've screwed it up. That's third time's the charm. Here we go. Here we go. Thanks for listening to me just kind of going back and forth, myself in the wall here. Um, keep your eyes glued to the NBA Finals and keep your ears glued to Dynasty Sports Empire, the podcast. And we'll talk to you next week. I mean, they really do say third time's a charm. You know, they must say that for a reason because three times uh, trying that podcast outro, I, it's just, it's great audio just listening to me uh, over and over and over again try to get that right. One of these days, I'm going to have it as good as I did two weeks ago or two podcasts ago. One of these days.